You are listening to Holy Heresy, a podcast that looks for the questions found at the intersection of spirituality, justice, and the arts. Holy Heresy is brought to you by the First Congregational Church of Los Angeles. Good morning and welcome to First Congregational Church of Los Angeles. Your presence in this shared space enriches the beautiful tapestry of our community. Here we are all welcome wherever we are on the journey, and we are free to be who we are, to love who we love, and to explore our faith and beliefs at our own pace. Today, as we near the end of our fall series, An Evolving God, An Evolving World, An Evolving Purpose, we will continue thinking about what it means to have an evolving purpose as we work with the narrative from the book of Esther in the Hebrew Scriptures. So, true confessions. In the last year of divinity school, I changed my mind. It happens. Sometimes, after spending three, four, five, six, or seven years pursuing a divinity degree, people find that their original reason for giving those years over to the study of theology and religion, they're just no longer valid. There are numerous reasons why this occurs. If you came to divinity school believing it would be the best Sunday school Bible study ever, you might find yourself disenchanted with faith. If you believe divinity school would allow the world to discover you and that you would have secured a major pulpit in a major city by graduation, looking to a future in a small town in a small church in the middle of nowhere, which is the only offer you received, could make you disillusioned with the whole process. If you thought in divinity school you would meet the partner of your dreams, if you thought your fiancé who had told you they didn't want to be the spouse of a minister would change their mind, or if you believed that all your stored-up emotional baggage would magically be resolved just because you took a pastoral care class, you are probably disgusted that things didn't turn out the way you planned. Now, please understand this is not a running commentary on why no one would ever want to go to divinity school. When I changed my mind, I was not disgusted, disillusioned, or disenchanted. I simply realized through the work I had done, with the guidance from the wisdom of mentors, and with the ever-mysterious work of the holy in my life, that my purpose had changed. Our story from the Hebrew Scriptures this morning is about a change of purpose and, disclaimer here, this story is, as my mother used to say, not everyone's cup of tea. There are many scholars who would rather we skipped over this book of Esther. Their main objection is that the name of God is nowhere to be found within the book's chapters. Feminist theologians bristle over its stereotypical presentation of gender roles. Womenist theologians speak to the oppression and subjugation. Some object to the fairy tale quality that Rachel had held Evans so brilliantly wrote of, a fairy tale that does indeed contain a foolish king, 
a villainous adversary, and a beautiful common woman who becomes a queen. Other scholars, though, have viewed Esther as a political actor who takes on an active role. They have found Esther to be exceptional, viewing her as noteworthy because she is so different from the portrayal of many of the other biblical women. According to this view, she stands out as a paradigm of an exceptional woman who, against all odds, defies gender stereotypes by playing a role in public affairs. One reason for this view of her is tied directly to her portrayal in the biblical text as a woman who is politically effective through the persuasiveness of her words. But Esther is not the only woman in this narrative. In fact, if the other woman in this story had said yes rather than no, there would be no Queen Esther. Two women dominate the narrative. The first is written out very early. At the beginning of the story, Queen Vashti, the favored wife of the king, refuses to publicly flaunt her body as the king requested, ordered. The story does not tell us how many times Queen Vashti had taken the exact instructions of the king and fulfilled them. But in the midst of this six-month-long debauchery of a party, Queen Vashti said no. She would not dance for the king and all of his drunken guests, wearing only her crown. After the fall of Vashti, an order went out from the king to bring all the most beautiful virgins to the kingdom in his palace. Rachel Held Evans likens it to a beauty pageant and said Esther, in essence, won the contest, landed the role, and became the new favored wife of the king. Within a short amount of time, Queen Esther is told about a plot against her people and at great risk to herself, agrees to do what is asked, knowing that her life could hang in the balance. Perhaps becoming the queen qualified as a purpose for Esther's life. Certainly her decision to say yes, to place herself in possible jeopardy by taking a tremendous risk and speaking to the king, saved her people, and she found a purpose greater than herself. The Jewish festival of Purim celebrates Esther and the action she took. It is a celebration that speaks to the past, to the present, and the future. Because always and forever, someone, somewhere, is planning to oppress and harm those who are not like them. Vashti, at great risk to herself, said no, and her purpose changed. Esther, at great risk to herself, said yes, and changed her purpose and the course of life for all the Hebrew people. My change of purpose was not nearly as dramatic. I had gone to divinity school with the sole intention of becoming a hospital chaplain. I had worked as the head of spiritual care at a hospital that was rapidly growing. I had developed a program for an equally rapidly changing cultural and religious landscape. And to continue in that role, 
I needed to have a Master's of Divinity degree. But in that last year at Divinity School, I finally realized the inherent pull of hospital chaplaincy for me. You have heard me say that my sister was ill from the time I was born. And because of that, I spent much of my life in hospital waiting rooms. In that time, you had to be 16 years of age to be allowed in patients' rooms. So my mother would have me take my schoolwork, she'd get me parked in a waiting room, and of course, as you can imagine, I talked to absolutely everybody. I knew the couple from Moses Lake whose son had cancer. I knew the story of the people whose twin daughters shared a fatal disease, and it still makes me cry. The names and the faces in those waiting rooms might change, but the people I saw every time we were at Virginia Mason Hospital in Seattle all knew how fragile life was. In that hospital waiting room, I learned to listen to other people's stories. And with some inner strength that I can't imagine now, I would tell them to not be afraid. I would share their stories with my mother every night as we walked back up the hill to our hotel where we stayed. And every night as she tucked me into bed, we prayed for my sister and for each one of those families. Chaplaincy felt like a purpose that had been with me forever, and I believed with my whole heart it was what I was supposed to do until someone helped me understand my past purpose did not have to be my future. As a woman in a conservative denomination, being a chaplain was allowed. Being a senior minister, not so much. Yet purposes come in all shapes and sizes. We may feel their tug because of past experiences, or because of the current state of the world. A purpose may lead to a life's calling, or it may simply lead us to become more of who we truly are. COVID has been such a game-changer for all of us. This pandemic has made us ask what we are doing with our lives. It has made us wonder if working all the time is bringing us life or keeping us from living. The things that seemed to matter before are beginning to feel shallow, and we now find ourselves searching for that which will make a lasting difference for us and for our world. Finding our purpose comes to us when we are least expecting it. It can begin when we wake in the middle of the night from a vivid dream. It can be sparked in a conversation at dinner with friends. Or it can appear when we see and feel, perhaps for the first time, the needs of our neighbors. It can come from a story that your child shares directly from their heart and rather than thinking it is merely sweet, you realize they are asking you to help them change the world. 
I believe our lives are on a trajectory that ebbs and flows. And I believe that every day new mercies arise. Mercies that remind us who we are and give us an opportunity to dream an evolving future that may not be easy, but one that contains a purpose which we know deep in our hearts will make this life worth living. I never dreamed of being the senior minister of this church. And while I know it is mine to do at this moment in time, it is not my total life purpose, but it is a role that keeps, helps keep me finding my ever-evolving purpose. And occasionally, something in my life reminds me of who I truly am. Yesterday, I stopped at a light I find myself at several times a week, and as I approached the intersection, the light turned yellow. But I did not do the usual L.A. thing. If you're not from L.A., you don't know that when you see yellow, it means step on it. I hit the brakes and actually very proudly stopped behind the crosswalk. On the right side, I noticed a young man beginning to cross in front of me, and he looked at me to make certain I had truly stopped. And so I smiled at him, and the young man kept walking. But a huge smile appeared on his face as he raised his hand to wave. Every day I walk onto this church campus, and I am greeted by the almost 400 students of Pilgrim School. It is rather like a huge waiting room for the future. And I always smile and greet each one I meet. But I started thinking yesterday, I'm going to change my morning practice a little. I think now as I begin another day at First Church, after having greeted and been greeted by all those students, I will take that time right away to pray for those students, to pray for their teachers, for their families, and for the world they will change. Because that is my purpose. I pray this morning for all of your evolving purposes and all the ways they will change you and change our world. May it ever be so. Amen. If you enjoyed what you heard, you can join us for service each Sunday morning in person or on YouTube, or consider supporting First Church by making a tax-deductible gift at fccla.org give.